Last week we uh, we looked at uh, chapters 40 and 43, or at least touched on them from <clears throat> Ezekiel. And I, I just like to review a little bit. Um, did we read verses 1 through 5 of 43 last time? Does anyone recall? If not, let's go ahead and do that. Um, we did. 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 We but rather introducing portions thereof. We have a river that runs from the temple, you know, into the land, giving life. So we'll have an opportunity to look at that, especially with reference to Revelation. There's also the creation theme uh, that's kind of going on too. And uh, <clears throat> so we'll look at that. And so just a, a few housekeeping things. We're, we're um, starting to wrap up with Ezekiel uh, today. And then also uh, next Sunday, uh, the plan is anyway to, to offer a, re a review, a brief review of Ezekiel, where we've been, um, and the like. And I, I might have some, some audio of, uh, you might know the name Pat Robertson. Okay, he references uh, Ezekiel 38 um, with reference to certain things. So I, I'd like to kind of introduce that too to... Uh, to talk about how Ezekiel is sometimes used uh, by others, and not always in a faithful way. I'll just put it that way, if you know Pat Robertson. He's, I, don't, I, I don't know him personally, of course. Uh, yeah, I know, imagine that. But he seemed to be more in line several years ago with Orthodox theology, but he's kind of moved further and further away um, you know, from that. But uh, that'll give us uh, some talking points concerning that. And then uh, after next week, which actually is the New Year, so Happy New Year early. Um, it is the New Year. Because the first is Friday. Friday. Okay. So we'll, we'll be in. But after after next Sunday, then we'll, we'll start a new study. So if you have any ideas or thoughts for Sunday particularly, uh, please uh, feel free to share them with me. So um, let's start with uh, Wayne here, and with verse 1 of chapter 43, and work ourselves through verse 5. When the man brought me to the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from way, the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chibar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate, which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And below, behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. All right, thank you. So that'll, that'll uh, at least begin us with uh, with this chapter, but this is kind of a big deal. Uh, remember when we when we first started with Ezekiel, uh, it was also a big deal that the glory of the Lord actually, actually had left the temple. 
you know, and then we have all these uh, these woes, these oracles against the nations, but also against Israel for her uh, idolatries. And not only outside the temple, but specifically also in the temple, right? So we have uh, we have this dynamic going on. The glory of the Lord leaves the temple. God, by His grace, brings the glory back into the temple. Uh, he comes back to the temple, and God promises to dwell in the midst of His people, right? So, um, you know, and if uh, if we were to, to continue reading, we'd see that. Uh, uh, that the Lord remains in his temple. Uh, and this is all by means of his grace, by means of his mercy, not because of how good the people were, which is reminiscent of what God says of his people Israel in Deuteronomy 7. You might recall there that God said, you know, I chose you not because you were the greatest number of people, not because you were the holiest and so on and so forth, but because he chose to have mercy on them. And then there's also the parallel account or parallel words uh, in Peter in his epistle where he says, you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, you know, a people of God who were not formerly the people of God, but and now are to proclaim his praises. Um, and looking at, looking at uh, the glory of the Lord, let's turn to, uh, let's start with the Old Testament because we're already there in Exodus chapter 24. Now this harkens us back, of course, to the tabernacle and its, uh, its uh, completion of construction. Exodus 24. Yeah, and, and particularly here, this has to do with Mount Sinai. So verses 16 and 17. Um, I'll start with verse 15. Moses went up on the mountain, and of course this is Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it uh, six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So even prior to the raising of the tabernacle and then the construction of the temple, we have the glory of the Lord on the mountain where Moses was. Moses spoke with God, right, uh, there. And, and so this uh, theophany, uh, this appearance of our Lord, occurs uh, a number of times in the Old Testament with Moses. And then let's, uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter 40. And whereabouts did we leave off? Right there. Okay. Let's start uh, with verse 33 and then uh, each take a verse to verse 38. Verse 33. Okay. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of the meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. 
not taken up when he did not journey till the day that it was taken up. And the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over by night, and the sun in the sight of all houses of Israel throughout all their journeys. Yeah, so, so we, we have uh, the tabernacle being constructed, the glory of the Lord in the tabernacle, but then also throughout the wanderings, recall that during the day was the pillar of cloud, and then by night, the pillar of fire. And, you know, so, so we see that dynamic too, when the pillar of cloud lifted up, or the pillar of fire, and led them, then they followed. Right? And this was throughout the wilderness wanderings too, which is, which is amazing to think of, because... Uh, recall, again, arcing back to Exodus 24, the glory of the Lord remained on the mountain when the people were doing what they were doing with the golden calf incident. Kind of a crazy thing to think about, isn't it? You see all these signs, and then the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night was still with them as the people were complaining. Which, you know, think about how the two contrast greatly with each other. Here you have God's presence, and at the same time, you have the people apostatizing at the same time. Uh, so it, again, it's a, a, a big deal. Now, First Corinthians or First, I keep saying that First Kings chapter eight. Now we're moving uh, only a, a few hundred years here, if not more. First uh, Kings chapter eight, and you might recall again. By way of review, and we've had a, a couple readings. I know Christmas Eve, there was the reading there. And I think the week before, too, uh, from 2 Samuel chapter 7, where David wanted to build a house for God. And God said, no, I will build you a house, right? And yet, it was God through Solomon that had the temple raised. He built the temple. And we hear about that in 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 10 through 11, when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. In other words, God was there. There's, there's no question about that. And this was, of course, in the midst of the sacrificial system which was going on, which was would continue to go on uh, until, it, uh, until it got, uh, how should I say, changed, uh, not by God, but by the people. And then it came to pass that they, they 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 just merely went through the motions. So we hear like in, in Malachi and Micah and, and various other prophets that the people began giving sacrifices that were not of the first order. And I'm not speaking of Star Wars here. Okay. But they were not uh, the prime rib kind of thing. They weren't the best. They were the, the animals were lame, they were blind. You know they were they were secondhand, you know, uh, reminiscent of what Cain gave rather than Abel. Remember Cain and Abel? Abel actually was a shepherd of all things. Which I uh, think about that. We have that theme, that element of uh, shepherds throughout the Old Testament, but also into the New, right? With the Good Shepherd, huh? It's all there. But, but Abel gave the first of his flock. And the text says in Genesis 4 that Cain just gave of the, the produce of the land. He was a farmer. And, and many would look at that and say, well, look, animals are better than fruit and vegetables. 
Uh, and that's not really the point. Uh, the point is that Abel gave from faith, Cain did not. And that was demonstrated by means of the sacrifice that he offered. Okay. Now, uh, in, in, in 1 Kings, of course, we have the people who, who, who raised this. Remember, in the tabernacle, or for the tabernacle, God gave specific instructions to Moses to give to the people. And I know you studied this, but it's, it's worth uh, recounting again that when Moses said, okay, we need these items for the tabernacle, they kept giving and giving and giving, and they had to tell the people to stop. We have plenty of stuff. Uh, and, and so they did. But a big deal, the, the people followed what the Lord said, and the Lord kept his promise. He uh, appeared to his people. And then in Ezekiel, we have the glory of the Lord leaving the temple and now coming back to the temple. All right, and uh, most specifically then, too, we'll, we're going to be looking in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, specifically John 1, which was reading from a couple days ago, right, Christmas Day. John 1, and I, I don't think this is a coincidence that John 1, 1 uh, begins very similarly to Genesis 1, 1. Okay? You heard that in the sermon, so I don't have to restate it. But at the same time, notice the connection between verse 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh. Remember that Word that was God, through which all things came. And actually, that, that I, I love recounting this, that word for dwelt is actually the verb form of tent in the Greek, skenoto, which is tented, um, which which sometimes can be uh, referred to as tabernacle, because what was the tabernacle? It was a tent. It was taken down, put back up, taken down when they moved, put back up when they stayed, and the like. And, and then we, we come to this, the word became flesh and tabernacle among us, no longer a physical building, but a physical body. And not just any physical body, but the Lord, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is second person of the Trinity, right? God and man in one person, full of grace and truth. Now, juxtapose that with what we see in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And you might recall, um, and is that, okay, I'm looking at chapter 1 still, that's why. Okay, so 19, and, and 19 to 22 and actually, it starts a little bit earlier than that. Uh, in John's Gospel, Jesus cleanses the temple in chapter 2. In Matthew and Luke, it doesn't appear until later on. Okay, <clears throat> But but when uh, Jesus cleanses the temple in chapter 2, remember he overturned the tables and he says in verse 16, I'll be jumping around a little bit, take these things away. They were selling animals in the temple um, in the, the outside, but uh, in the... In the uh, the temple proper in the outer courts though take these things away do not make my father's house a uh, house of trade and then his disciples remembered uh, the prophetic writing deal for your house will consume me and the Jews in verse 18 said to him what sign do you show us for doing these things and Jesus answers 
them and says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. This temple. And the Jews said it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Now this was not the original temple. Okay, You might recall, again, by way of review that okay, what tabernacle, temple under Solomon, that was destroyed in the exile and then it was rebuilt but not in its former glory. Um, and then uh, this is, uh, I think, King Herod's temple, or the temple that King Herod built. <coughs> okay, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And note verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And I would, I would uh, commend to you this, this, uh, this uh, indication that when it says they believe the scripture, that means the Old Testament scripture. Right? I mean, because the New Testament was not written yet. Right? Uh, they believe the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken about himself. And uh, I, I know this, this commentator, Horace Hummel, makes reference to the temple as it's, uh, as it's given dimensions for in Ezekiel, um, you know, he references and makes reference to Christ. Um, now, it, 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 it's not, uh, and I, I think Sylvia will appreciate this, it's not so much a, a, a tit-for-tat kind of thing. You know, like, okay, this dimension means this, and this means this kind of thing, but more generalistically, more holistically. Uh, because when, when we hear of the, the, uh, the dimensions and what's going on in the temple that Ezekiel speaks about in these latter chapters of his prophetic book, there's still sacrificing going on. Someone had asked about the kitchens. Um, the kitchens that are there in, in the, the, the temple construction. And one, one comment that I, I read had mentioned that this is where they, they boil the sacrifices. You know, so they used those, and it was tied in, of course, with the sacrificial system, right? So everything about the temple is really about sacrifices in some way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, now Jesus is in the temple, and uh, I think we'll, we'll hold off on Revelation 21 and 22 until later, especially with reference to uh, the river of life, all right? Um, so for now, we'll, we'll move to uh, verses or chapters 44 to 48, or at least an overview. And this is again from the Lutheran Bible Companion, a helpful, helpful two-volume set. The first volume is the Old Testament, and the second volume is the New Testament. Uh, but has really great explanation, and it's from a Lutheran perspective too. So, um, in terms of authorship, in terms of uh, of the various books of dating, because as you might be aware. Uh, there are numerous and various dates that either are hundreds of years off or even longer off in terms of dating the Old Testament specifically because um, I think that's a little more challenging than the New Testament because of course the New Testament is more recent and we have a lot of archaeological evidence uh, to support the dating there like with reference to Herod uh, with reference to uh, even the census you know uh, of uh, of uh, Joseph and Mary, why they went to Bethlehem, and so on and so forth. And then also a, a number of the other rulers, too. So for these 
particular chapters, we read God reiterates Levitical standards for his priests with some new regulations and gives the Israelites a prince, not a king. The Heavenly Father is Israel's king who embodies Israel's role in worship and acting roles of both priest and king. Ezekiel's guide takes him to the inner court, inner, inner court where a stream of water begins flowing, transforming the salt sea. Each tribe is welcomed back. The idealized promised land is the prophetic symbol of a place and time in which the type of worship described previously will be possible. Now, uh, with, with reference to this too, in terms of worship, notice in Ezekiel's temple, there is the sacrificial system still going on, but under Christ, there is no more sacrificial system. Why? Because he's the Lamb of God, right? He is the Passover sacrifice. Um, and it, it's, it's, again, no coincidence that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper on the night of the Passover. Right? Remember that account with the Passover, uh, the Pascha, uh, the Passover was where the angel of the Lord passed over uh, the people's wounds that had the blood on the doorposts and lintels, the blood of the Lamb. Um, there's, there's a lot of symbolism going on there, uh, you know, even to today. And we're, we're going to get into that a little bit uh, as, as we have time. Now, um, let's, let's go back to Ezekiel. And we'll, we'll stay primarily in here, but there are a few other places that we'll be going back to uh, in Exodus as well as in, uh, the, uh, in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Notice... Um, in chapter 44, we have more dimensions that are given throughout the remaining chapters. So I, I, uh, I want to kind of try to draw attention to those by way of just saying they're there. But I want to draw attention more to, uh, to what, is, uh, what is more clear. And those admitted to the temple, verses 4 through 9, I'd like to, like to read there. Uh, where, where did we leave off? Okay. So in Ezekiel chapter 44, and then begin at verse 9, and we'll go through, or actually begin at verse 4, and we'll go through verse 9. Alright. Also he brought me by way of the north gate in front of the temple. So I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. The Lord said to me, Son of man, look carefully. Listen closely and give attention to everything I tell you concerning all the regulations regarding the temple of the Lord. Give attention to the entrance of the temple and all the exits of the sanctuary. Say to the rebellious oh, sorry. Say to the rebellious house, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, the house of Israel, enough of all your abominations and the many foreigners oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's just easy to go keep going. You two are married, right? Yeah. <laughs> in admitting foreigners uncircumcised in heart and flesh to be in my sanctuary, profaning my temple when you offer to me my food, the fat, and the blood, you have broken my covenant in addition to all your abominations. Instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things, you put others in charge of my sanctuary. Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. All right. That's a, a, a decent place to stop. Now, uh, with, with reference to this, it's, you know, this has to do specifically with service in the temple. 
as God has established it, no foreigner, um, uncircumcised in heart and flesh. And it reminds me of the instructions, the statutes that God gave to the Israelites concerning the Passover and who could take it and who couldn't. Okay? And for that, I'd like to look at Exodus chapter 12. So we're getting our finger exercised this morning. Right? It's wonderful. I love to hear all the pages flipping. That's, just, that's, just the, that's music to my heart. All right, so um, Exodus chapter 12, verses 43. This has to do with the institution of the Passover. Um, Two verse 49. So beginning at verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is brought for money, bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. Is that the same? Yeah. Oh, just different translation. Okay. <laughs> In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his house circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Alright. So we, we, we could uh, spend some time here. Um, notice, no uncircumcised shall eat of it. Now this is referring to the Passover specifically and if foreigners can't eat the Passover they should not be serving in the tabernacle or in the temple either, right? Um, but what do we what do we see with this? No uncircumcised uh, can eat of it. So if you wanted to eat the Passover, you had to be circumcised first. In other words, you had to become a Jew, basically. Yeah, and it wasn't. You know, I mean, we, we might see that we you know some might see this as oh okay, all I need to do is be circumcised. Um, no, there also has to be faith attached, right? I mean, it's not just kind of okay. I'm having this physical thing done. As painful as it might be, um, <laughs> especially if you're older, right? I, I think for for babies, I know it's, I, it's just as painful for babies. Oh, I, I know. They say they don't feel anything. That's they, they, they do. They our, our firstborn. We I, I don't I don't I can't remember if we if we watched them do it. No, I mean, we weren't in the same room though, you know. Uh, but we heard this, you know, as soon as they cut, you know, screaming really loud. But I don't remember it. Yeah, no, they don't. If, 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 if they were older, of course, they, they probably would have, right? <laughs> when, when we were overseas, we learned that, that um, in Korea and Japan and Okinawa and all those places, when the little boys are circumcised, the little girls, their ears are pierced because they won't bother their ears. And that's why they have lots and lots of, of earrings in their ears. And I thought that was kind of Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make it equal for everybody. Yeah. Although it's probably not. I, I don't know if I would say it's equal, but I think we were still able to bring it home, like just in just a few days. So it's probably tender, but yeah. It's, yeah. It's not the physical. 
it's the circumcision because of the faith. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, which is really uh, intriguing uh, because that, that um, you know, the, the, the practice of circumcision is spoken of in not only the Old Testament, but also the New Testament, right? Um, and, you know, I know Paul talks about the circumcision not of the, not of the flesh, but of the heart, right? Um, you know, so, so there's a, there, there's a uh, connection here between the circumcision that took place in the Old Testament to the new circumcision of the heart, which is, has to do with baptism, right? And to, to your comment, uh, Don, I know in Romans chapter 4, you know, they're, they're speaking of uh, circumcision, you know, and, uh, and in other places too, the circumcision, circumcision of the heart but the promise that was given to Abraham was way before circumcision was given as a covenant. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, if, if you just do chronologically, you know, in the Bible, God calls Abraham out of the word of the Chaldeans in Genesis 12. Just go along with me here. It's not until five chapters later that we hear of the covenant of circumcision. And God is the one establishing that, of course. God is the one establishing the covenant with Noah. Remember the rainbow? Mm-hmm. God is the one establishing the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, not for God's sake, but for Abraham's. Um, and then we also have the covenant, uh, sometimes it's called the Davidic covenant, where God says, I will make you a house. And it's not, and, and interestingly, it's not dependent on David, it's not dependent on Solomon, it's not dependent on his ancestors, or on his descendants. It's rather founded on God's promise itself. Right? Mm-hmm. So we see that going on. And, and so with reference to the Passover, which, again, you know, jumping a, a, you know, many years later, Jesus fulfilled the Passover by himself being at the Passover. And I, I think there's a connection when, when John the Baptizer sees Jesus, who's his cousin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, how, how, how much older? Three months, right? Yep. Three months older, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world? I would say it's not coincidence that the word "lamb of God" is used, uh, because in, in people's minds, what was a lamb for? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, right? And we hear of that when when Jesus was presented into the when when Jesus was presented in the temple too. Um, you know that that he gave offering or that his parents gave offerings according to the law of Moses, two turtle doves, right? And, and the like. So we see that uh, that going on too. Now, with reference to the Passover and circumcision, the foreigners shall not eat of it. Um, there's also connection not only between circumcision and baptism, but also, of course, the Passover and the Lord's Supper as well. Now, it might not be as specific as uh, as what we read in Exodus 12, but turn to 1 Corinthians 11. There are some parallels here, even though it might not seem like there is. But before one, of course, receives communion, they ought to be baptized first, right? And and by the way, when we speak of baptism, and we do have a baptism today, yay! It's my first one here. Actually, I did I did I did um, officiated a baptism when I was at St. John and Lariat. Um, but but this is my first one here, and you might recall. Uh, last year in December, and I forget the exact date, but Lauren, mm-hmm. yep. 
Yes. Um, she was baptized yeah. by Pastor Blazik, and I confirmed her. Yeah. So it was kind of a dual thing. It was kind of neat. Um, but, uh, you know, one is baptized before partaking of the Lord's Supper. And with both of these sacraments, we don't uh, divorce these sacraments from believing the promises of God either. So it's not just about, okay, I'm baptized, I'm good, um, or I've taken the Lord's Supper, I'm good, apart from believing in the promises that God gives in the waters of baptism, having the name attached and placed on God's name on the baptized, or... Um, in what Christ gives in the Lord's Supper. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 29 says, states very clearly, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You know, in, in a similar fashion, if one was uncircumcised and a foreigner and partook of the Passover, there would be consequences for that. Right? They might not be immediate, uh, but they would be forthcoming. And in the same way today, um, you've probably heard me say this, but there, there are some who, you know, who are who are stuck, who are trapped, intentionally or unintentionally, in their sin, and you confront them on it, and they'll say, "Well, God is not going to judge me for that." And what they mean is God is not going to zap them down with lightning right now. Uh, but sadly, um, you know, as mentioned before, too, I mean, that's a sad state of affairs because generally what, what, what I've seen many times is, is that one in that state of mind, unless they are converted, they will keep becoming harder and harder, you know, with reference to God's judgment and being more convinced. So, um, of, of, of the justification of their own sinfulness. I guess it must be okay. It's, it's like someone who steals, in, in the, using the illustration, someone who steals but doesn't get caught, what are they going to keep doing? Very likely. Stealing. Keep stealing. Right? Uh, and that, that's why, uh, you know, upholding uh, right judgment in the law is so important. Because if people say, oh, well, look what they're doing, and they're not getting caught, you know, that's only encouragement to continue sinning. Um, and in that state of affairs. But, but here, of course, discerning the body and blood of Christ, examining oneself, uh, and, uh, and, and not doing so to eat and drink judgment on oneself. Um, and that's why, of course, you know, I have to say something about close communion. That's why you know, we uniquely, of course, the Catholics also practice this, and the Wisconsin Synod, um, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, and a few others do also have this similar practice that they commune only those who are in agreement doctrinally with them. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, because there, there of course is the vertical. Sometimes it's called the vertical. In other words, you, you hear, you know, one way of stating this is, well, communion is between God and me. And that's true. But communion is also between myself and those with whom I commune, right? And if I commune with a Catholic, if I commune with uh, an Assemblies of God, if, do they even, I, I don't even know if they offer the Lord's Supper. I know Baptists do, but it's very irregular. Or certain types of year, you know, kind of thing. We've spoken of that. Baptists oftentimes only give communion to their congregation. Another congregation in the 
area will not call. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. You know, it, it's a different uh, polity, if I if I can say that. It's a, it's a different structure than like in our synod, for example, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Generally speaking, if you're a member of an LCMS congregation in one place, you should be in fellowship doctrinally with an LCMS congregation in another place. Um, but that's also, of course, where we find some inconsistency in our church body as well. Um, but, but the horizontal, we, we, we are really good at highlighting the vertical, um, you know, between God himself. And this is why we have, you know, statements, questions such as, I repent of my sin, I'm sorry for what I've done, and so on and so forth. Um, I recognize that I'm, I, I deserve condemnation because of God, but only for the sake of Christ do I have forgiveness of sins. And then also we recognize, too, that it's Christ's body and blood. That's also vertical. Uh, what's also vertical, of course, is that we partake for the forgiveness of sins, not because we are righteous, but because we're unrighteous. And, uh, you know, so one of the questions I often ask, uh, you know, members of LCMS congregations that are visiting is I'll say, do you... Uh, do you believe that the Lord's Supper is Christ's body and blood? I also ask the question, do you hope to receive the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper? You know, and uh, if they say no to either of those, then we have to have a discussion. Right? Uh, but uh, but that's the vertical. There's also the horizontal, though, because if we, if we believe differently concerning the Lord's Supper, but also concerning salvation, we should not be communing together. Right? Uh, by not meeting others from outside of our fellowship, outside of the Missouri Synod, we are not saying they're not Christian, but we don't believe the same. Uh, because there also is this confession of faith that we are making in the Lord's Supper, too, publicly. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Right? Um, and, and sometimes we, we kind of forget that. There's, there's, it's a both and. It's both vertical as well as horizontal. Um, and horizontally, of course, we confess what we believe vertically. Does that make sense? I don't want to get too much into horizontal vertical. But, but by, by communing at the altar, at our altar, we're all confessing the same thing concerning not only the body of Christ, but also the teaching uh, of Christ and salvation and the life. One is baptized first, and then uh, after instruction, uh, they may be communed. Uh, let's, uh, let's see. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to kind of run through some of these things kind of quickly. But uh, going back to Ezekiel 44, um, there is a distinction between the priests, the Levites, and the sons of Zadok. And I, I have some references here. I, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time looking at that, but I'll draw your reference to 2 Samuel 15. We're not going to read that right now. But that's, uh, I think, one of the first appearances of Zadok, uh, who he and his sons, I think, uh, were priests under David. Okay? And there was also a connection to the Ark of the Covenant as well. And... Uh, Interestingly, in, in chapter 44, there is a distinction made between priests and Levites and the sons of Zadok from those who were faithful to those who were unfaithful. And yet, even the unfaithful ones in Ezekiel 44 are able to serve, but in a limited capacity. Compared to the others who were faithful, and especially the sons of Zadok, 
who served uh, more fully in the temple, uh, specifically with the sacrifices. Now, uh, let's see, uh, two more slides. I know we're kind of running up on time, but I wanted to draw your attention to chapter 46, uh, verses 1 and 3, which is kind of interesting, and we might be able to talk about it a little bit, but I would really want to try to spend time with uh, 47 and, uh, and the river. In, in chapter 46, verses 1 and 3 read, Thus says the Lord God, The gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut on the six working days, but on the Sabbath day it shall be opened, and on that day of the new moon it shall be opened. And then verse 3, uh, The people of the land shall bow down at the entrance of that gate before the Lord on the Sabbaths and on the new moons. And this caught my attention because in Colossians chapter 2, St. Paul says, after after saying uh, that uh, you know that that all of things are a substance of things to come, he says, let no one. Or in that context, he says, let no one judge you in new moons or sabbaths, um, for all of these are pointing to Christ. Okay, and if you want to look at that, that's in uh, Colossians, like I said, Colossians chapter two, and I think it's verse sixteen. And just above that, he speaks of circumcision. Uh, and before that, see, in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, that is in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting on the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, so that's your connection, or one connection, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Who made alive? God. Made alive together with him, having forgiven us, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, verse 15, by triumphing over them in him. So in Christ, notice what says, what he writes in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Um, if you're ever talking with a Seventh-day Adventist, you could ask them, and I don't know what they would say, honestly. Uh, they probably have, you know, a, a means of justifying what they believe, but it wouldn't be that strong uh, scripturally. To a festival, let no one judge you. So, you know, because the, the Seventh-day Adventists, for example, and other groups, they say you have to worship on the Sabbath, which is not Sunday, right, but Saturday. Uh, and... In the New Testament, we have no indication that there's a law that you have to worship on the Sabbath. You certainly may, right? And that's what the Old Testament people did. Uh, actually, we, we are to worship every day, aren't we? You know, we gather together in God's house at least once a week uh, because God God um, is, is present among us in his word and sacrament, and he would feed us by these means. So... Um, notice also in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
You know, so again, I, I kind of wonder with uh, with Ezekiel in the temple, again, you know, there, there's these hints. It's not always perhaps so clear, but there's these, there's these hints that it points to Christ. You know, the glory of the Lord, where is the glory of the Lord now? Right? Where Christ is. And then, of course, you ask, well, where is Christ? Where he promises to be. Where does he promise to be? In his word and sacrament. Right? Doing his thing. So, um, lastly... Let's look at uh, uh, chapter 47, just a few verses here. And basically just uh, uh, just verse 1 to start off with anyway. And uh, then he brought me back to, the, back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, but the temple faced east. And, um, you know, we, we could certainly... You know, uh, I'll have you reflect on this, but as he moves further from the temple, the water gets deeper and deeper. It, it's kind of a weird, uh, weird scene. It, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those though. You know, this is one of the narratives, and we see this throughout Scripture that it's very picturesque. You know, um, in other words, you know, have you ever read a book and you could almost see what's going on? You know, we kind of might have our own. How should I say um, nuances? You know, in terms of that, uh, which is really that's what's kind of difficult about reading some books and then seeing the movie. Because right? okay. you read the book and it's like that's not the way it was in the book when you're watching the movie. Because you had a different picture in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Among other things, but sometimes it's just totally different. You know, uh, but but here, of course, you know, it, it, the, the picture is, is clear. You know, he's walking and the water is as high as his ankles and then to his knees and then to his chest and then he, he can't, he, he has to swim, right? So it gets deeper and deeper. Um, but but the idea is that this water flowing from the temple gives life. And there are trees on both sides. Let's jump to Gen- or Revelation 22. And uh, next week we'll, we'll come back to, to Ezekiel 48. But uh, for now, Revelation 22. And again, uh, you know, we might have to spend more time on this next week, but the angel, I'll just read verse uh, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We'll stop there for now uh, with reference to the reading. But you kind of get this idea, again, this is a river of life, and everything that is attached to the water or somehow uh, takes in the water is growing, and is green, and is flourishing. Um, in, uh, in Psalm 1, there's reference to uh, the man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and there's also a reference there that he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. You know, and its leaves produce at the right time, and, and so on and so forth. Um, that uh, the uh, the illustration of water, the use of water throughout the Old and New Testament is, is phenomenal, giving life. For example, we might think of the new life given to Naaman the Syrian, right? Who was uh, washed, who washed himself in the River Jordan at the word of the prophet of God, 
and he was made clean, right, from all his uh, leprosy. Uh, we also have the references, as uh, noted before, uh, baptism, which now saves you, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, referencing how Noah and his family were saved through water by means of the ark. You know, there, there's that. What does water do? It cleanses, right? So we have those words from uh, 1 John chapter 1, um, you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, and will cleanse us, right? That cleansing has to do with, uh, you know, kind of reminds us of water purification, you know, as well, which, of course, you know, reminds us of holy baptism, too. All right. With that, let's pray. And it was, uh, you said, Terry McGillis? Tim. 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 Tim McGill. Tim McGill. Let us pray. Gracious Father, thank you for giving us new life in you, new life in the waters of holy baptism, life and forgiveness also by your means of grace in the Lord's Supper, Christ's body and blood and the bread and the wine. Continue to give us this life, and we pray that you would give Tim's family comfort, especially at this time, and also their congregation in which he was serving, that they have peace in your most holy and precious name, and that they have strength to continue in your grace and favor. At times we don't know why things are or become as they are or as they be, but we entrust ourselves into your care and keeping, and we pray that they would find support and blessing in your most holy and precious name. Open our ears and open theirs to hear your word and to be edified by that word, your means of grace, knowing peace with you and the forgiveness of sins, and give them and give us always the hope of the everlasting life and the resurrection of our body through him who died and himself rose again for our salvation. In Jesus' name.